The things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free. Because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Now, in recent weeks, our regular listeners will know that I've been bringing you a bunch of episodes that I've recorded on a recent trip to Queensland. I did a bit of a road trip around Brisbane and the Gold Coast to talk to some really interesting faces and names, some of which you know really well, some of which you haven't heard from for a while. The guy on this podcast, you've heard about him a lot over the last 25 or so years. Craig Lowndes is my guest on the pod this week. In fact, next week as well. This is part one of a two-part chat that we recorded recently at Triple Eight Race Engineering in Brisbane in Queensland. Now, because Craig is such a huge star of the sport and he's been around for so long, there's so many topics that you've probably heard done to death. Now, there's some of those that we do cover off because there's some things you can't just uh, talk to Craig and not ask him about certain things, like Bathurst 2006. Sometimes it's about how you ask from a different angle and come up with a different perspective. But we've asked him about a bunch of stuff on this podcast that I think you'll enjoy. So on part one, we cover some really cool ground. To give you a little preview before you start listening, we talk about his first Bathurst race, not in a Commodore, but in a Pulsar Triple S. His Dick Johnson Racing V8 test in a Ford Falcon. That didn't happen. Many of you didn't know about that one. The memorable green-eyed monster Ford Falcon. Filming with Eric Banner, a.k.a. Poiter. Sweet. Uh, behind the scenes on his 60 Minutes story, uh, which has a story to itself. And his first test with Triple A while he was still driving for Ford Performance Racing. All that and plenty more. So buckle up. It's time to start. It's taken a while, but we got there in the end. Craig Lowndes on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Craig Lowndes, it's taken us a little while, but we have made it to Queensland and got you on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. How did we book the whole Triple Eight boardroom just for us? Oh, welcome. Um, I only just invented COVID to keep you away, but it didn't work. But um, yeah, this is uh, well, this is the boardroom. Like this is literally where we would sit, pre-brief. Post debriefs, anything. Uh, obviously, the era is a bit different now with Jamie at the helm, but this is where I would come in with an RD ass kicking. I was going to say, is weekend. this where you've copped a few yep. sprays? Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely. I, I thought the paint was starting to peel in the, the corner there. That's, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah, I was yeah. from. Yeah, yeah well, right. then you can see how long, if no, you can see how long this table is. I reckon it's a it, good, probably 10 meters long or so. I sit down one end when it was a Roland. Negotiation. <laughs> so this is where contracts were hammered out. This is where deals were done and yep. wheelings could talk. Yeah, well, I might go and have to put the microphone up against <laughs> them and, and see what we find out. Mate, there's so many things I want to run through, so many things I want to talk about. And I want to try to talk about some things that, I mean, you get asked about the same things almost on repeat cycle about Bathursts and Brock and all sorts of stuff. And we'll do a little bit of that, but I've got a whole bunch of other stuff that I'd love to talk to you about. And hopefully it's stuff that you haven't thought about for a while, you haven't okay. talked about for a while, mm-hmm. and, it, and it lights up some memories on some, some various things. But first things first, we know all your race cars. We love the cars at V8 Sleuth, as you know. What's the first road car like that you actually ever drove? 
like as a kid, like did you, did your dad Frank let you sit on his knee in a you know a, a roadie up and down the driveway or was it the, the Cortina was your first real actual car, wasn't it? Somewhere yeah, and I've still line. got that at home. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which so, actually a lot of our fans are asking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later. Um, the first ever vehicle that I took a hand on a steering wheel was actually sitting on my mum's lap. It was a Nissan Pintara. Uh, driver, it was red. Mum was doing the pedals because I couldn't reach them. I did the steering. <laughs> um, other than that, it was a it was a grey Massey Ferguson. Oh yeah, tractor. nice, nice. Used there to actually go. go down get the firewood. Got the little carrier on the back. Um, used to have to roll start it because nothing ever worked at home. And once it got going, it had chugged away all day. But I actually worked out if I put enough weight on the rear carrier, raise it up about about a foot off the ground. As I'm going back up the hill, I could do wheelies. So you're already making setup changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it had independent brakes. So you had these two levers either side of the of your basically centerpiece and you could actually steer it by using the brakes with no steering, like no front wheels on the ground. Uh, so at what age is this? Oh, like, six, eight. Yeah, here we go. So it's on. <laughs> it's on. Like, you know, Lounge 1980 spec is yeah. already racing and already trying to go faster. So. Yeah, and you just keep raising the rear carrier and then get more air and I just never found that tipping point. Good, because yes. that might have not been very good. <laughs> that might not be very good. So the, the Cortina we'll talk about too. Yep. I, I mean, I know our fans have asked about it, and I'll, I'll fast forward it and pull it out of our questions for later on because that's something that gets asked about a lot. So when you were at HRT and stuff, you had to sort of keep a bit hush on that because they didn't like the thought that a Holden factory hero had a Cortina hiding around somewhere. Uh, well, the truth. <laughs> um, actually, it was my first road car, uh, Mombolk, out of – East of Melbourne, mm. I bought it. It was red. I restored it. Oh, you, how much you pay for it? You remember? Uh, I think it was like seven hundred and fifty dollars out of the paper. Yeah, out of the Trading Post. Yeah, yeah I was, I was going to say Trading Post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young listeners, there used to be this thing. It yeah. was called a Trading Post. It, it was, it, it, it was yeah. Will Davison sponsored FPR later on, but it had gone electronic by then. But it was like a full-on newspaper yeah. full of classies, like the Herald Sun. Yeah. Like I used to sit there in the, in the lounge room and I'd. Um, because I originally wanted an RS two thousand Escort. That was my that was my dream Fair car. Fair point. Yeah. And then Dad's like, "Well, no, you can't have that. You're going to get an es- a, a Cortina." And I'm like, "No." So I literally sat on a Sunday morning to afternoon, going through the paper, circling all the ads I thought were decent, and it was the, like the basically the the sign out of Castle, the movie Castle. I was say, yeah. Yeah. No, nah, that's too dear. Or nah, tell him he's dreaming. Tell him he's dreaming. All that sort of <laughs> stuff. So I'd I'd read out all the all the ones that I'd circled, and Dad would go, "Yep, yeah, no." Nah, no, no, yeah, maybe, give Be- a call. Because Was this because he was paying or you were paying? No, I was paying. Yeah, all right, okay, okay. But it was just, the, the of course, you know, the, the experience of knowing the bullshit that people write <laughs> and the sense of, oh, this is like excellent condition where it's probably got rust through the floor uh, and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, so I ended up uh, buying it out there, restored it. I was driving it, and that's at the time when Jeff Gretsch actually rang us up and said, you know, come and do a test day. And so I did that, uh, got the job with HRT back then. And I was driving I was driving my car, the Cortina, to the Holden dealers. And then it got to a point where the dealers would actually say, can you just park it out the back? So I'd have to park it out the back, walk around the block, come back to the front of the Holden uh, dealer, do, the, do what I did, everything else, walk back to my car, drive back past the – reception area, toot the horn, say, hey, hey, thanks, boys, and then drive away. To a point, yes, I had to tell HRT at a, at a time that I'd sold the car. Um, at that point, it sat in the shed at home, I reckon, for a good six years, literally untouched, and it wasn't until I joined Zero Zero back in Ford 
because uh, they actually Ford wanted me to uh, help restore the Formula Ford, which mm. I've still got. Mm. So that's your championship winner or your very first My one? very first one, my 85 Van Diemen, um, which I've got at home. Yeah, you've still got that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, i still got that at home. And I knew where it was, So that, but I didn't actually have my hands on the Formula Ford. But I did say to Ford at the time, Jeff Polites, I've got my first road car, which is a Ford Mark One Ford Cortina. And he said, bugger me, have you? And I said, yeah, it's been sitting in the shed for six years because um, it's got the wrong badge on the front of it. So we dragged it out, sent it. I was living in Queensland, sent it down to the – uh, Geelong down to the campus down there, the, the trade school that Ford were um, uh, sponsoring or help sponsoring, and literally re- completely restored the car from inside outside. Dad rebuilt the engine. The trade uh, school down there did the gearbox, the diff. Then it went back to Broad Meadows because uh, I was doing my trade at the time at Batman Automotive College, TAFE, and they did all the interior. So yeah, literally from inside out. Gold. Gold and still got it. Still got it. Still drive it. I drive it a little bit. I've got to say, give it a bit of an airing and yeah. Lara drives it more than I do. Yeah, I just like drag it out, give it a clean, push it back in. Mm. Lara drives it down to the shops every now and then, and and it's really funny because she'll come back and you can hear it coming because the Webbers, and and I've taught her that you can't you can't hurt it. Like I've shown her how you know rev it because the cam I put in it doesn't work until over four and a half thousand RPM, and it works to like almost eight thousand. So you got to rev the thing, and I can hear her coming back, and every time she comes back, I always say, all right, what story you got? Because every time she takes it, Someone. some old person comes along and says, oh, I love those cars, I got married in one or whatever, <laughs> or I got conceived in one or whatever you want to talk about, every time she comes back with a story. What about the 85 Van Diemen? Where did that come from back in the day? So you would have bought that, like it's an old car by the time you get your hands on it. Uh, yes, I bought – well, I didn't buy. Dad bought – we got to a point – uh, 1990. So, end of my go kart sort of time. I just turned senior. I turned 16. We did the Victorian Closed Championship or State Championship uh, at Ballarat. Good place, that. Yep. Uh, we end up winning. It was wet. Um, Out at Haddon. Yes. Mm. Uh, yep. Great track. Um, good track, really good track. And so I got to a point where Dad said, look, you know, if you want to move further or progress, we need to sell all that to go kart side of it. I said, yep, let's do that. So we end up buying it uh, in 1990, uh, the Formula Ford. Um, found it. Can't remember. Was it in the trading post though? This no, one? that one wasn't in the trading post. Might have been in all, you know, one of the magazines at the time probably. Yeah. That was the place to go. And we had a lot of drama when we first got it. Because, again, the history of this car, there was three bought into Australia at the time by Sir Jack Brabham. Mm. This was one of those three cars. Now, story goes, and, again, I I'm, I'm think I'm 99% right about this. So one of the three wasn't or hadn't got the duty paid on it. Oh, no. <laughs> and one of them got crashed uh, by, I don't know if it was David or Jeff, I think it was Jeff Brabham. Uh, in the time, and then it got dumped out. The chassis oh, got dumped. Been, probably da- was David. David or Gary maybe even. Oh, could Jeff have been. was overseas by that stage. But, yeah, it was one of them. It was one of them. No, I'm talking about way back when they oh, first, way back when. When they first oh, brought right. him in. And uh, one, the chassis got, supposedly, a story goes, got dumped out to sea. Uh, mine got its other plates put on it, chassis plates. Oh, from the other car. From the other car. Because oh. I think my one originally. Anyway, we got it all sorted. Um, so it does have a little bit of history with the Brabham family. Um and then I ran it in 91, 92, or started 92. Um, and then 93, we won the championship. 
uh, in a in a ninety three Van Diemen. We actually sold the eighty five to Jim Murcott, who used it as a school car out at uh, Sandown, and used to work for Jim. Did you? I used to Sandown work for Jim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, again, stories go that uh, a uh, a young Paul Dumbrell. Uh, this come from a reliable source. Went out and he was starting. He wanted to start his career. Got into my well, my line there, uh, Van Diemen. Did a lap. Did a second lap. Didn't come back. <laughs> Plucked, I think, two or the three, two two of the four wheels off it. Um, so anyway, by the time we got it, so then Jim passed away. If people don't know, Jim passed away. All the cars collection got sold off. We knew where the car was. Uh, we got an opportunity to buy it back, which Dad did, and now we're in the process of a like a five or a six year restoration. That's so. how all restorations happen, though. <laughs> I've never heard of a five month restoration of. No. Get in, get it done, get it out. It doesn't work. It just it doesn't happen. No, well, it's actually well, it's ninety nine percent done. I just need to actually get pull my finger out, buy some tires, bring it into here to the workshop, put on a flat patch, and and do a setup and go driving. Okay. Um, I actually did sit in it not long ago. People ask me, do I still fit in it? Yes, it takes me half an hour to get out of it, <laughs> but I can get into it. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it's. I had to buy a new engine for it. Uh, we completely stripped it to back to bare metal, repainted the chassis, put a new floor on it. Um, so, yeah, so it's almost in pristine condition. Well, the other, other part of the story with the Formula Ford is that Ray Robbins, who was very instrumental in uh, supercars in sort of the 90s and sort of not long ago, he originally painted my, my um, Formula Ford and bugger me when we restored it this time, he still had the original paint. So it's actually oh, painted. The, what, the original tub? Original paint. So it's, <laughs> it's not only painted in the right colour, it's actually the original colour. And what, original col- paint. what, what colour? Well, it's white with blue stripes on it. Right. Was this, was this an inspired livery from something or was it just – No, it was just Ray way? actually. He did all the body work and he goes, well, this looks nice blue, this blue, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've got a great photo which I'm using to obviously get some stickers and decals made up now of me at the uh, Adelaide Grand Prix uh, and, and basically, yeah, redesigning it from that photo. Nice, nice. I reckon we've probably got some photos in the files at work. So if you need some, holler because I reckon we might have something lying around that helps replicate the stickers and the colours and the number. What number were you back then? 49. Why were you 49? That was my go-kart number. So I come out of go-karts with 49. I started Formula Ford with a 49. I went then to 15 because I, I did the – in 91 I did the club series, which was Winton. And I also did uh, Phillip Island Sandown as the national series just to get some exposure. We ended up 15th that year out of doing two rounds. Not bad. So then we ended up uh, running 15 in 92 and then we won it in 93. With number five. With number five. So you just, you just got rid of the one, just went out ah, five. Just, bit yeah, went 15, better. five, well, one. And 49 rings a bell too because that's what you ran, wasn't it, on Brian Sampson's cheetah in the Formula yes. Brabham. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Black Death. Black Death. Well, that car's still around, isn't it? Well, it's black. It was yeah. aluminium, and it was pop riveted together. And I think the old pop rivets have never been the same. <laughs> as long as they didn't pop so out. So we, we used to joke about we called it the Black Death because it was like a coffin. It served you well, though. It like, served me well. You and Murph in '94 and Stokel and Formula Brabham, and I yeah. mean, you were silver star, weren't you? Like yeah. it wasn't the outright kind no. of you know it wasn't a carbon car up against those cars. So. No, but I remember Winton. It was raining um, as it generally does there, and. I can't remember where we qualified six or something. We actually led the race for three or four laps because the thing was so soft and <laughs> moved around. It actually got good traction. <laughs> the things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free. Because here, 
there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. So that same year, you get your first Bathurst. But everyone, Bathurst to the general public is in October. Yeah. The V8 race, the touring cars, the 1,000. But um, you had been there earlier in that year at Easter in the Nissan Pulsar Triple S mm-hmm. in the 12-hour, which was a proddy car race back yeah. then. And that was the last year they ran it before it went to Eastern Creek and then it went away for a while. And, of course, now GT race, you've won it and you, you know it and you love it as, as well. How did the Nissan Pulsar deal come together with the Morris boys? Because everyone goes on about, clearly for good reason, the HRT debut and the nearly winning. But no one really asks you about I want to know about the Pulsar because I don't reckon I've ever really talked to you about it. <laughs> well, I was doing my apprenticeship. Dad had the uh, mechanical northern tuning service in Thomastown. The way it came about was the Mo- Morris brothers used to be a, a customer. Um, and anyway, they had this idea they wanted to, to build a Nissan Pulsar and anything else. So my involvement was part of the agreement was we were going to dyno the Nissan and, and do all the mechanical side of it to get it up to spec. So we, Dad and I spent, I reckon, a good week and a half on the dyno after work just running it up and then we changed the exhaust, we'd modify something, we'd run it up, we'd do things and completely just, you know, our time was our investment into it. And then we got to Bathurst itself. So driving was part of that yes. deal. You and do the work, you get a little steer. You can get a drive. And then yeah. we, we got to Bathurst, there were three of us, um, and we had a TAFE crew, like like students out of a TAFE, and they were they, just like what you were. You were yeah. a student. At yeah, the I was TAFE. a student. Yeah, oh, student I was driving, student working. Yeah, like. yeah. yeah, and yeah. and they were like they were good. They were they obviously rookie. They made a few little mistakes. Anyway, we got to a point where towards the end of the race, we started to have brake fade, and Dad was there, and literally, uh, they bled the brakes. I was in the car. I, they asked me, like, you know, basically dad jumped in and said, look, open up all the all the brake nipples, bleed, 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 put it back together. And basically I said, I've got half a pedal. And he goes, that'll do, fine, get it out. So he actually you. sent me <laughs> and the brake pedal actually came back and uh, we ended up winning our class. So uh, it was – and that whole – the whole thing that dad always said to me growing up was we do things for a purpose. So that purpose was to learn the track, Bathurst track. Hopefully then six months, eight, eight months down the track in October, we get another invitation back, which we did. So at that stage, the HRT thing hadn't, that phone call to come and have a drive hadn't no. happened yet. No, no, no. We yeah. were still So it was hopeful. just a case of let's just get some laps in because we're going to need them. Well, the interesting thing was also too, when we won the Formula Ford Championship in 93, I was supposed to get a drive or a test drive with Dick Johnson. In a Falcon. In his Falcon, mm. in the Shell Falcon. Never happened because Dick got the shits because he gave Karen McConville, who won it in 92 the year before me, Cam in 93 got the drive at Bathurst and crashed at the top of the mountain. So at that point, Dick had got a bit of a sour taste about young people, especially in the obviously you know, the investment and the, and the value of the cars, putting young people in a, in a, in a um, supercar or a touring car back then. So I never got my test drive. I've got a photo somewhere at work. I think we've run on socials before of you at the Sandown 500 sitting in the car, which I presume was for a promo yes. thing because you were the Formula Ford champion, you know, part of the deal was you get to have a go in that car. Um, and it, 
didn't happen. Never, never, never eventuated. So that's a pretty rare photo. The only time you've probably ever put your bum in a DJR car yes. of some sort. Yep. And that's when uh, HRT rang up. I remember the phone call. I was sitting at home in the lounge with mum and dad and Jeff Gretsch rang up and basically said, look, we got a, we got a, a test day out at Calder Park. You know, do you want to be involved? Do you want to come out? You know, be part of it. And I, and I did. I did all the sort of the 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 anchor work of you know breaking, you know, bedding in brakes, gearboxes, all the diffs, all the things we used to do back then. And then right at the end of the day, he said, "All right, I'll give you an opportunity to do some laps." And we did some laps and impressed. So mm. that's how that sort of all come about. And look what happened ever yeah. since. Look what happened. Now the the thing that springs into my mind too is that the while we're talking '94. And we know what happened. It's it's well documented. It's a wonderful story. I was there. I was there that day. You twelve. Uh, I wish. <laughs> year seven. <laughs> I was in year seven actually. But where I was, can I tell you? Yeah. You tell me where you, oh, we all know where you were. Yeah. What you were doing. I was sitting as you come out of the chase hmm. before the hotel was built. This oh, is okay. before that. So I'm there with my dad and my uncle, and we've done a bus trip from Ballarat. Like up to Orange on the Saturday, stay there Saturday night, across on the Sunday, watch the race. Soon as the podium's finished, on the bus, overnight to Ballarat, get in at 3 a.m. or something. So my uncle was a Dick Johnson fan. He sadly passed away, no Daryl. But he he swapped ranks for the weekend because remember they put up the 100 grand for Brock? Yes. The bonus to win his 10th Bathurst. He was ardent Dick Johnson fan, but he crossed camps for Bathurst and was like, I'd like to see Brock win that. I think that would be pretty amazing. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, serious? He had a t- telecom mobile net HRT cap and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, righto. So I remember that. But then anyway, at the time, no big screens. PA, by the track, that gets drowned out every time a car goes past. In those days, the field at Bathurst is much bigger than it is now. Yeah. I think that year was 45 cars. So it's probably 25, 30 still going at that stage. We have no idea sitting there. So the word comes through from the, oh, there's a crash, there's a crash. It's Brock. Oh, so we're all, what's going on here? (laughs) My uncle's going, oh, well, this wasn't a good move to change camps (laughs) for the year, was it? So I'm there going, oh, anyway. And you could feel like all the Holden fans around just went, oh, we're cooked. All right, the other the kids in the other car. Oh, let's see what happens. And of course, the Ford fans are gloating like they're. You know, it's like when your footy team's up by eight goals. Yeah, yeah. And you're sitting there, yeah, going, yeah, yeah. cop this. There we go. <laughs> and 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 what happens happens. We have no idea you've passed bow. Oh yeah, around yeah, the yeah. outside of turn two. No idea. And the the first we know, we are a minute and a half behind one of the best moments in Bathurst one thousand history. We know because. We can't see where we're sitting, the Bridgestone Bridge, out of the chase. The first time I know that you're leading the Bathurst 1000 is when you come out of there in front and it's the first time everybody on the bank knows that you are in the lead. The place went troppo. <laughs> I, I kid you not, I'll remember till the day I die, the place went absolutely bananas because all these Holden fans have been the balloon deflated. Hmm. We're gone. We're cooked. The king's out. Whoa, John Bow's going to win this. And it was like, no, we're still in it, still in it. This kid's in it, this kid's in it. And you're just ragging the hell out of it as we've talked about a million times before. And when that bloke in that VL privateer Commodore (laughs) down at the final turn chopped you up, the deflated balloon came back again. But it was amazing. I'll always remember that. 
Oh, look, it, was it was amazing. It, people ask me the same question. I actually asked Bowie many years later about that this whole exchange of what happened because I still reckon that he broke early because he was on the inside, the dirty line, and I actually did break later than I ever, ever had and it just happened to work because I actually turned the corner instead of being into the tyres. Um, but we, we were running out of fuel. So once Bowie got back past me, our fuel light had come on because Brad Jones, who was the lead driver in the car, who should have been in the car at the end of the race, came in two laps too early. And then, of course, that then hindered the attack on Bowie. What I didn't know, Bowie was in the same situation with fuel. Mm. So if I'd had a full tank and was able to eat, at some point he actually said, Bowie said he was half a lap away from yielding because of his fuel problem but not realising that I had the same issue mm. and we both had the same issue and then, of course, it ended up the way it did. So I could have almost won the first race. Oh. If, but. Yeah, it typical is. Typical driver. And, and, well, no, typical <laughs> Bathurst. I yeah. mean, because that's what the joint's all about. But, yeah. I mean, Bradley was mega that day because he did the double yes. to get you back in the game. You'd had that spin at the top of the hill, which we still have never found that vision. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking I've about. I've got a photo somewhere <laughs> of you facing the wrong way at the top of the hill. I actually had. And I don't now. I actually had someone send it to me by a VHS that they'd recorded, like with some punter in like the crowd. Like a handy cam Yeah, type like thing. a handy cam that someone was sitting in the, in the crowd had caught the whole thing and actually had captured my spin and see me have the loop, which was out of the grate and up into McPhillamy, uh, into the left-hand side, which is all that apron there, and then keep driving away. But we don't know where it is now. Here's so. <laughs> you destroyed the tape, didn't you? <laughs> and VHS used to be a big cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids, there was this thing. Let's not even try to tell what tell what beta is. No. Like that's a, that's a whole other world. That's a whole other world. <laughs> um, the cool thing too is that that '94 Bathurst chassis, the HRT car, is being restored. Um, and I know you've, you've signed. I think the the is it the glove box or the switch panel or something that the owner now is getting all the different drivers who drove that car. Hmm. To, to do, which was HRT28, which was a VN Commodore originally for Wynn, Percy and Alan Grice. Finished second in 91, but it got updated and a Chevy engine and all that sort of stuff. So hmm. it's been a really long process because that became the NZ Peter McLeod car later on the privateer car. So it's been a really big restoration project to get that to, to go back. And there's a bunch of your old cars that are getting restored. Benny Eggleston's got a yeah. pile of the things. Yeah. So when he gets – or any of these get put back together and – Rolled out somewhere. I'm sure. I'm sure you, you probably already had the phone calls to go. Hey, mate, you want to have a, you want to have a go? You want to have a, have a steer? Oh, to be honest, Benny and I have been talking quite a lot, and it was actually interesting up at Townsville because obviously my now day job is commentating. Uh, I was in pit lane reporting on the Super Two category in Townsville, which there was a safety car, which generally sometimes happens with Super Two, more often than not. Yeah, yeah. I, I went up to them to find out what was going on because I think one of their cars was involved. It was oh, actually Cameron Crick and Nash Morris had Nash, a, yeah, an that's incident. It. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went up to find out what was going on. As soon as I walked up, Benny in the middle of the race takes his headsets off, starts talking about the '96 car. <laughs> we're up to there, and we've painted it. We're doing this, get some decals done, and da 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 da. And the rest of the team are just looking at him, going. You idiot. We're, we're in, in this heart, race. We're in the middle of a race <laughs> and you're now talking about your 96 Commodore, which I, I still classify as the best race car I've ever had in that era. It was just everything all worked for it and um, like we had tyre. We had benefits of, of a, a, you know, a Bridgestone tyre, different compounds, different structures, everything we wanted, we got. 
we've talked about the car before, you know, when we've done the, the HRT car history book. And I always frame that as the car that made HRT. It was kind of the car that made you too if we were going to put – if any of the cars did, it's that one. You know, championship win, Sandown 500 win, Murph, Bathurst 1000 win with you too. Gave you both a hangover for the next day. That's another yep. topic. We'll go into that. Um, <laughs> it's the thing that he tried to wipe out at Phillip Island the following year when yes. he went head on into the, yep, the barrier. And, and, and Ben and his team have done an amazing job over the last few years with not just that car but a bunch of the other HRT cars mm. to – I reckon they've got more HRT than HR, the old HRT because they've <laughs> yeah. got all these cars and such great passion for it. And that stuff to so many people is it's just a tool of the trade, you know. It's no different to a, a pen and a notepad or a keyboard or an angle grind, whatever it is, whatever your tool your trade is. But does it amaze you sometimes to think that those things that were just the thing you used to do your job are so special, are so important to people that you know, guys like Ben, who's hugely passionate, like we are at, at Sleuth about that stuff, does it blow your mind away sometimes to think that they're just things from like 20-odd years ago, who cares about that? It's worth how much? <laughs> You're spending what on it? Like it's it's amazing. Well, it is interesting because you talk to people now, even about current cars and, and um, actually the last couple of days, you know, people say, well, why do you keep building new cars? Or where do the old ones go? And you say you sell them off and, you you know, they go down to Super 2 or the Super 3. They keep getting recycled. And uh, But you're right. Like the ones you forget about that have value have history. Like Jamie owns Kate, mm. which is his most successful car that he's ever used. Um, you know, Shane's now currently driving the most successful car in history um, only because – the team being cheap ass and haven't built him a new car. He's still got he's his in a, car. He's in the year three with that one. <laughs> he's still got <laughs> the same car. But, um, but yeah, like you look, you, it's, it's in history. It's 10, 15 years down the track. Then you look back and people have got a foresight to be able to grab it there and then and mm. go, all right, this is somewhere along the line going to be really successfully valuable or, you know, just part of history. And it's great to see. And, like, I, I get a kick out of driving some old cars um, you know, even old Monaros, next year ones, and all that sort of stuff, because you you got to appreciate what they went through as drivers back then to what we accept now, um, like roll cages, moving the seats inboard, having window nets, all this stuff that they didn't have back then, um, where they just had a bench seat and and basically their lunch in the glove box. See, you said Monaro then, and I had a flashback to a few years at Bathurst, <laughs> the museum Monaro, that replica of the '68 winner. <laughs> And you nearly trailed it. <laughs> no, you, it wasn't you that bad. Nearly, we know you're good, <laughs> but seriously, mate, seriously, that was so. I I reckon Brad Owen, who was a great friend of ours, at the National Motor Racing Museum, nearly had heart failure watching that vision. Well, Brad actually said it's it's the most hits that they've ever had for anything for the museum on their Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm because, not surprised. Uh, well, it was one of those things. Typical scope. He he's, he winds you up and and and. The thing was, I you was. You should know better, though, than nah, to be wound up by him. I Come was on. flat. I was <laughs> physically flat. The, I had the car throttle. was nearly I, flat. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't go any faster. The only problem was when I got to the top of the skyline, I realised, oh, shit, this is drum brakes. And then, and then it was all, oh, okay, I'm already committed. So, But it wasn't actually the brakes that did it. It was when I went back to second in the gearbox, if you watch the onboard, it's when I popped the clutch out. It had it, like the engine's got still got so much compression, it actually locked up the rear tyres because it's such a skinny little. 
licorice strip, and they're probably the original ones from back in the 1960s, um, they locked up. And then I had to put the clutch back in really quickly, which is then what gave me the, yeah, the ability to get things straight, and then I used the drum brakes to slow it up. So it, it's, um, yeah, it, you can joke about it now. I even had Nick Perkett come out of the garage when I got back to pit lane. He goes, you lunatic! <laughs> I'm like, He's right. He's right. He's totally right. <laughs> We talked about that 96 car. And I remember going to see it at Clayton about 10 years, 2005, 2006. It was, and you remember the old HRT building, Building 20 in the Clayton Business Park where later on the the race team moved but the the manufacturing element was, was still there. Yep. And across there was like a, a power station building. You might remember that yep. at Clayton. This chassis after – because it, it was the car that um, – came back after you had your big rollover at Calder. It was pulled out of um, – yes. well, it, it had it had, had the big crash with Murph at Philippine in 97, been fixed and brought back uh, for McConville to drive when you were benched for the, the mm. Tassie because you had Tassie. your knee after the rollover. Yep. And then you drove it at Winton in that unique one-off livery. Yes. Um, and then to protect your regular cars for Bathurst on the Gold Coast, you ran it and it was in a shunt with Ellery and I think Tanda. Mm. Um, so it was stripped – it sat in this power station 10 years on. You could still see the base colour of the red and the blue and the white of that last livery, but it had all the crash damage still. It had you know, been stripped engine and running gear and stuff, panels. It was. I remember sitting there thinking, I cannot believe that one of the, you know, the greatest, a Bathurst winner, won all those races, it helped you win that championship, Sandown, all that stuff. Yeah, it was called the supercar before the category hmm. was called supercars. I mean, it was... It was labor. I could not believe that it's rotting away in this disused power station in the business park. And eventually, it was purchased by a guy up here in Queensland who bought a bunch of their stuff, and it ended up with with Ben. And he's been able to you know start to put it all back together and and make it happen. But you know that's where some of the history gets deleted. Hmm. Like some of those cars in the sixties and seventies, no one thought about keeping anything. They're gone. There's a lot of those that are just gone forever. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I've, as I said, been talking to Benny about it because I keep sort of prodding him to take it to Goodwood and give it a run. And I'd love to drive it over there. So he's sort of semi-keen. Um, don't want to put any pressure on you, Benny, but hope you're listening. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> but, but you've cleared the diary for Goodwood next yes, year. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got I got invited last year to go over and, and compete, but we had and I was talking to Roland about taking chassis ten. Mm. Um, and Roland at one point was really interested and keen about doing it, uh, but then it, unfortunately it fell through. So yeah, like it'd be nice to get that the '96 car over there, and because one of my old zero zero cars, not mine, but the the sister car, I think, might have been our. Oh, uh, the Neil Crompton's. Here's it. Oh, no, no. I've got one here for you. Yeah, yeah. So this is the one in the UK. UK. It's painted like it. Yes. But it ain't one of them. Okay. Because mm. he can see every now and then sends me a, mm. a message. But you should go and drive it if you can. Yeah, yeah. It sounds great I've, over there. I think it's an ex Paul Wheel car. But it's, oh, it's, it's the got, Paul Wheel it's, one. It's, it's one of those K&J cars, but it's got your – Livery. Because everyone – now, we're having this chat triple eight. I've been up here for a week doing podcasts mm. in Queensland. The other day a, a friend of mine – um, sent me a text on one of the mornings here and um, they live in uh, – they're from the Gold Coast and they were looking out the front of their house and thought of me straight away because there was a an AU Falcon XR8 road car parked out the front of their place on their street in the double O green-eyed monster livery and then all of a sudden we put it on socials and what do you know – five more roll in on the messages with, yeah, I've got one like that, I've got one like that, I've done mine like that too. It's it's a huge 
it's so fondly remembered by Ford fans and, you know, not just Ford fans too, but it was a standout car livery look and I know it didn't work out the way that it kind of all had planned and hoped to be but, you know, here we are 20 years on and people, you say Green-Eyed Monster, hmm. they know exactly what you're talking about. It's for a car that didn't, you know, didn't win championship, didn't win a Bathurst, hmm. it's really fondly remembered. It's... It's yeah. really well loved by the fans. And if people think back or if anyone wants to look at the photo of it, the green eyes was what attracted people, but it was actually the black outline around the double green eyes was the BA, it was the next generation BA headlight. They, they, they Ford actually designed that car and that colour scheme, but they actually incorporated the next generation look onto the AU mm. and people sort of now look at it and go, oh, yeah, now yeah, I can see the, the outline of the headlights and where they all went, sort of where the cars migrated to. So, yeah, it was it was good times. Hey, uh, it reminds me too, when you did that Ford deal, obviously there was there was secrecy around in the, in the rollout. There was a press conference in Melbourne, wasn't it? It was a hotel, I think, the Park Royal, down near the Albert Park track when it was all announced and you come out in your, your white, crisp, Ford. clean Ford racing shirt and as a young bloke at the time, I was at Motorsport News Magazine and we had the exclusive cover story because we'd worked with your management and the people involved and we were trusted to, to handle the story right. We, we had to put our deadline back a day to make it line up with when the press conference was going to be. The best feeling, walking in there with the other media outlets who have been sent this, there's an announcement at this time here, you've got to come, which... They're all, you know, not sure what the news is and we bowl in with a handful of magazines with you on the front cover <laughs> in your Ford shirt and they're all like, oh, God. <laughs> Scoop. Scoop. I think there's a bit of vision in one of those Bathurst Fox docos from years gone by uh, and I think I had uh, – yeah, you can see me in the background at the press conference and I look about 12. I look about 12. <laughs> I probably was not that far away from it actually. but um, Which leads me to believe – do you remember going to the Ararat Hill Climb, mm. 1998? Mm. Uh, like, if anyone doesn't know, like, hill climbing is such a great grassroots mm. motorsport and Ararat's kind of like, at the time, the Bathurst of it, hosted the Australian Championship. It was mm. the longest, fastest hill climb. They've, they've chopped it back a little bit, actually. It's not the, the full mile 1.6K anymore, but fast. And John Faulkner took his supercar there. Yeah, like, remember that. Direct from Bathurst, like a month mm. earlier or whatever it was. He was 200 k's an hour at the kink up the hill. And I think it was – I think they might have looked at his data later on and went, right, we do need to make a little mod to this course here. But you, you, you remember this because that's yeah. the first time – I got your autograph a few years before that as a young bloke. <laughs> but that's the first time I ever actually met you. And Because here you were, like you were a rock star and, it, and, you know, you were a big deal at the time. Well, why is he at Ararat? What are you doing? And, of course – Everyone mobbed you, everyone wanted a photo, everyone wanted to chat to you and they, they tried to put you in a car as well. Yeah, 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 yeah tried. Yeah, which... Didn't work. No, no, no. There's no way that the team is going <laughs> to let you do, <laughs> no, do no, that. No, no. Actually, and to be honest, I haven't actually really done a hill climb, a proper hill climb, but, uh, yeah, I remember that time. It was, and, and, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I remember yeah, Johnny Faulkner having his supercar and, yeah, they were... Uh, it was. It was. Yeah, impressive. From it was a better electrical. It was a better electrical. Which, was, one, which yes. was the old HRT yeah. car. Uh, Barry Ryan was there. He was working for him at the time. JF. Uh, yes. And they, because in hill climbing, you get multiple runs, but you can do a little burnout 
within a pre, just you know, before the line, you got to roll yeah, back, yeah. and then you can. Someone puts a wedge behind you, your right rear wheel, your left rear wheel, ready, go. So I'm the commentator in the caravan, reading out the times as a, a young bloke, you know, all that stuff. But they were going for the record. They wanted to break the outright record, which was held by a former Holden, I think, from memory. So JF would do the, the burnout. And I think I've told this story before, but we'll go with it again. If if you haven't heard it, then it's great because it's good. And you're sitting here going, where are you going with this? So they do the burnout on the car, but because they had the full transporter there with all the gear, they'd set up the pit equipment and swap the tyres in the time between when he did his burnout and when he had to go and do the run. So hot tyres from the burnout go on the, the front, front, gives it another burst again. So you know, no tyre warmers, and he broke the record. It was like 44 seconds or something. It was <laughs> it was absolutely insane. But um, maybe form, your Formula Ford at a hill climb, good grassroots type of event somewhere along the line. Yeah, well, I've got to – Tick actually, the hill climb box. Yeah, yeah, I've got to get – oh, actually, I've got to get some ratios for it. Like it's got a ratios in the gearbox. Mm, I have mm. no idea what they are at the moment. <laughs> you might want to have a look before you go and do anything with it. Do you remember uh, – we got asked by a lot of punters about this. Mm. The Eric Banner skit at Calder. Oh, yeah. Poiter. Poiter. Sweet. Sweet. Poiter. Poiter. You remember doing all that? <laughs> yeah. That car, that, that Falcon that we used was just straight out of uh, the TV channel. I think it was Channel 9, I think, from memory. Straight out of their car park. It was one of the employees. that They, they just they'd borrowed <laughs> – a falcon because they wanted a falcon. Oh, it was for full frontal, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the TV show at the yeah. time, which it came a, out of fast forward. It was a big yeah. piss take about Ford and Holden. Yeah, and, and basically that was when he, yeah, I took him around in the VS Commodore, um, and then he dr- took me for a drive and wanted to know how much it had cost me to to convert. Well, five years later we found out. Yeah. So <laughs> it was two cartons of beer. Because <laughs> <laughs> for those like Eric Banner to so many of our listeners now, Hollywood famous movie yeah. star, he's done all those big big films and but. He had this character, Poiter. Mm. I, I, I used to watch it all the time. It was gold. <laughs> yeah. Moccasin wearing, yep. tight, had a durry in his mouth. Tight jeans. He, he almost could have got a fit. He almost could have fit in with that Red Bull, those videos you and Shane and Jamie have done. Oh, one yeah, of, the, one of those characters, Cappy and yeah, Buddy. Cappy. I reckon he could have got a gig there. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was sort of along those those lines and he'd sort of have the head going backwards <laughs> and forwards and the arm on the window. So, yeah, sweet, sweet. So, uh, you know, like he, it, was like, it was one of his great characters that period before he became like, you know. Big Hollywood deal. Oh, I was going to say, he sort of went on to probably bigger things, but, you know, you know I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> now, the interesting thing was, you know, and we actually talked, I, I bumped into Eric, because the one thing that I, people may not appreciate is how much he loves cars. Oh, and, he's and full on. He's, he's full riding. On. Like he, riding. He's, he's coupe that he ran at the Target Tassie, unfortunately binned it, but he's fixed it. Um, he came and did the 12-hour. So yeah. I actually sat down with him when I was at Bathurst and we talked about that, like, you know, all that whole thing at the back of Calder Park and doing fishies and donuts and all that sort of stuff. And he loved it. It's cool. And, and cool, you were on 60 Minutes that, uh, that time. Yeah. I only thought of it because it popped up on um, – it's on YouTube on I think 60 Minutes have put it up from yeah. their archive. And like, that was a big – 60 Minutes very rarely goes near motor racing. Hmm. So that '96 year when you were, you know, emerging as this new new star and winning stuff and winning lots of stuff, actually, <laughs> the 60 minutes did a, a yarn on you. Yeah. Is you know, yeah. that was a big deal. Well, that, that was, was a one big of my deal at the time. first ever sort of proper TV, and I thought at the time everything that I said goes to air. So I was absolutely shitting myself, mm. thinking, "Don't screw up, don't swear," and I had all this in the back of my head, thinking, "Oh, they're going to use everything." Then they they came to Dad's work where where Dad. Uh, we were doing some stuff on the dyno. I actually got in trouble because where I was living at the time at Plenty 
we had this dirt road and I remember and and the camera guy said, oh, I'm going to sit in the middle of the back seat, you know, just go, go down this dirt road. And it was like a little sort of like undulating little section of the track and bugger me, he dropped the camera, camera when it goes on the floor, picks it all up and, you know, we sort of talk about it but HR or HSV were really dirty that I – was taking the car down a dirt road that fast with the camera guy in the back and without it being secured and everything else. So I got in a bit of trouble for that one. <laughs> Old John Crennan. Uh, naughty Craig. Mm. Naughty Craig. Naughty Craig. Wouldn't Swoit. Swoit Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swoit. Yeah, It wasn't the last time I got in trouble. Oh, what did you get in, <laughs> in trouble? What could you have possibly got in trouble for? Oh, I remember one time I, I like part of the deal with HRT back then was you get a company car but it was mm. a salary sacrifice. Oh, so you had to pay for it in a Yeah, essence. so basically, yeah, you got nothing for free. So and I moved to Queensland just then and I was buying, wanted to buy a house. So I actually took the car back. It was a black VT Commodore Club Sport and I, I gave it back to HSV and then all of a sudden people were asking me like, oh, why, why won't you pay, pay for the damage? And I'm like, damage for what? Because my contract back then said, as long as I'm driving a Holden product, which I had. Which, which was <laughs> inserted after the Cortina. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just want, I, I wanted the, I didn't want the company car I, I wanted the money to, to buy a house so anyway long story short people started saying to me why won't you pay for the damage I said what damage he goes oh well, your company car your, your VT like it's got four flat tyres someone said you've run it up over a roundabout everything else I said it's got ABS how do you get four flat tyres on an ABS car and then great difficulty I would have thought and then yeah and then anyway so the story went around that I damaged this car because I don't think anyone had actually given a car back <laughs> in exchange I want the money <laughs> Oh, deals. One day you'll have to write a book. One day you'll have to write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day. Yeah, one day. All the good stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the first person to say that, funnily enough. <laughs> Not funnily enough. Mate, there's so many so many topics to, to go over here. But mm. um, next year, well, we're working on it now, but for next year we're doing a book for the 20th anniversary of Triple Eight on all the cars. And you've pretty much driven most of them. Like you've been here for longer than anyone. So um, take me back too because it's, it's a unique one where – you actually got your first drive of a triple eight car before you left FPR. You mm. actually had a round to go with your deal there, but you were permitted to come up and have a steer of the new car at the time. So it's a really unique situation. I can't see any teams doing that these days, but because you were you were a Ford guy on a Ford deal, so I guess everyone sort of held hands and was all right. He's going, so we'll we'll let it happen. I think Cedo had the same thing around the same time with with DJR. But do you remember that first test and that first taste of a, a triple eight car out at Ipswich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, yeah, it was a great day actually because yeah, we got permission to do it, uh, and I think a lot of it was dedicated from Ford because it was going from one Ford team to another Ford team. It wasn't like I was swapping camps again. But uh, I remember driving the car out there, and, and I, I'd given uh, Campbell Little who was my engineer at the time, um, feedback on what I felt, what I thought the car was or where it was at and everything else. And I think at that point they were a bit surprised about the information that I gave back to them because at that time they'd had Max Wilson and Paul Radishish drive the cars. Mm. And unfortunately at that, that, that era for those two, that the team were still in the beginnings of something, but they had a lot of failures. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then in 96... Uh, sorry, 06, 05, sorry, when I, f- when I first got the full-time drive, 05, it, it was interesting to work within the Triple Eight organisation from a team that really 
wanted to be good but didn't know how to be good in the sense of the direction and everything else. And, it, and that test day sort of gave me the confidence of what I – the decision to leave FPR to move to here was the right one. And I actually remember talking to Glenn about it because you're right, Glenn was going to DJR. Glenn was sort of saying to me, oh, you've, you made the wrong choice. You should have gone to DJR. Um, that's a much better platform for you know for, for racing and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, it wasn't that long after that I think they got rid of Glenn and one year. And uh, I said I actually bumped into Glenn after that. And he didn't really say too much to me <laughs> after that. <laughs> I've talked to Roland on this pod tour. I spent some time with him, and he talked about the 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 timing of, of when you came to to join. And he said, well, we, you know, there was you, Ambrose Scaife, you know, the stars of the era. Mm. He said, "We, I needed to sell you. He needed, he needed to sell you the dream, yes, and and make you buy in for yep. you to to want to go there because yep. obviously at that stage, they didn't really have any runs on the board. But um, uh, the comment he made to me was that you were the known entity, you were the known element. So if you came there and then there's no winning, all right, our car's still not good enough because we know you're a winner. Hmm. We're not winners yet, so." How do you remember all that going down of how the dream was sold to you? Because I think if you knew in 2004 how the whole Triple Eight deal would work out for you with you know everything that's happened since, you'd have been pretty happy to take it at that point and, and know that that was what was going to follow. But how did that whole – let's dig into it a little bit of the Triple Eight wheeling and dealing. How did he sell you the dream? How did he make this happen? You, to be honest, you need to go back – few years before that. So Jeff Pilates had exactly the same words when he tried to get me to come across from Holden to Ford. He basically said, we know you can win races, we just need to give you a product that you can win races. People will see through it. So it was my choice to go to zero zero. Uh, which uh, I, Gibson as it which, was, which was Gibson, was, which was uh, Bob Forbes was Bob the real Ford owner. Was real, Fred yes. was the front man. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. it got sold to me that it was it was Fred's team. Yeah, bought it back. So was that the only option? The real like because we obviously the media at the time are speculating where you can go, where you could go. Oh, maybe you could go here, or maybe you could go there. Was it was that pretty much the option on the table? Was there anywhere else you could have? Actually yeah, no, gone? that was the only option at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did look into the Stone Brothers, uh, but then Marcus was is was in that direction. Um, so that was my, that was my choice to go to Gibson or zero zero. Of course, two years later, it all fell in a bit of a heap. Um, because of the political background, not nothing to do with me, then it was actually Jeff Pilates that, that insisted I come and face or did become the face of FPR, and that was mega. Like the workshop was mega. Like everything was like up to date in the sense of technology and everything else. Getting to your point of Roland, Roland trying to sell me the dream. He didn't have to sell me the dream. I wanted to get out. Mm. So. I'm glad he thought he had to try and sell it to me. It was a very easy decision for me to get uh, out. He did make the comment, though, I think that was you were willing to listen. You were ready to go anyway. So it wasn't a case of you were yeah, yeah. kicking and screaming, dragged around his point of view. No, no. He felt that the timing was right and you were already looking for another option, but he just, you know. Oh, 100% because I actually sat with FPR at the time and I said to them uh, at the end of that sort of sort of middle of that season, we were having a you know, up and down year like we did in that era. Um, you know, we won Phillip Island because of the wet and just being lucky. And then, of course, it all came out saying we're 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 you know we're going to be a championship <laughs> contender. I'm like I'm looking at it going, oh okay. Anyway, I actually asked them. I said, well, what's the future hold for you know if I stay here? And they basically said, what you see is what you get. And what I saw was not a lot of improvement of what was already coming on. So when I came and I sat with Roland up here, um, 
it was pretty easy. He basically laid it out. I walk I walked through the workshop, which was in uh, Abbotsford Road in the in the city at the time. He took over the Briggs operation. Uh, he run me through what they're thinking about doing in the sense of the engineering. They had Ludo Lacroix. Ludo was spending six months in Europe, six months in Australia at that point. Um, Campbell Little, who I'd actually known Campbell Little even in motorbike days. Oh, yeah, in, yeah, he's early, a motorbike early guy. Days. Yeah. He's a motorbike guy. He used to bring uh, Honda bikes. He used to work for Honda Australia and he used to bring the motorbikes into Dad's workshop and we used to dyno them. So I knew Campbell. Small world, isn't it? It's a small, small world, world and I knew yeah. Campbell for a long time. So knowing that, well, Campbell was going to be the engineer, Ludo was there, uh, I'd watched the progression of, of when Roland had took, taken over from the Briggs. They had a lot of failures, but they already had a lot of things. They were working a lot of, on the car, um, you know, trying to lightweight the flywheels, all this sort of stuff went on. So I could see the, the passion that Roland had and the passion the team had. They just didn't have all the elements. And I was just one part of that element, but all the elements together at the time. And so it was very easy for me to say, yes, it was close to home. I was living in Queensland. I didn't have to commute to Victoria. Um, it, was a, it was a really easy decision. Hmm. And, well, there's a bunch of trophies lying around here that, you know, you weren't. The team earned, it would say that, and the stats would say that it's kind of worked out sort of all right. It's so. been okay. It's been okay. <laughs> Actually, the, the the turning point for us was Eastern Creek when we fir- first won uh, in 05. Mm. You know, we, we mm. ended up equal on points with Marcus at the end of the day or the weekend, but we won the last race, race so we ultimately got the win and a complete different attitude changed within the team. Because they've had a taste. Well, they, was, it, was that, all right, we now know how to win? It was the factor of like up until then it's like I hope we can win. Yes, we can win. Like it was that attitude, that positive change. Like yes, we now know we can win. Let's keep forging forward. And then, you know, 06 was its own thing. And and I remember Roland so passionate winning Bathurst that year because that was the whole reason he came to Australia was to win Bathurst. Mm. That was his whole reason. Mm. Eight times at the time that we record this that the team's won. So, and, and I know that for some, and I know Jamie sitting out at his desk at the moment, it has always been championship and you've always been Bathurst and I know our, our listeners and our readers will have their own points of view. I'm all, I'm all Bathurst because at the end of the day, <laughs> that's, the, that's the bit that um, transcends the sport. If you're not into car racing, you know that what Bathurst is and you know that it's the big thing that really matters no matter whether you watch it or you don't. So that's a that's a pretty I cool part of it all. So that, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You've got a few reasons why uh, you agree you've uh, been there and done it. So that 2005 car, we've actually been asked this quite a bit by our, our readers and our listeners. So the 05 car that you drove, the 888 better electrical car that you got the first 888 pole at Pukekohe, mm-hmm. the first win at Eastern Creek. Um because in those days we had rounds, remember? Races rounds. and rounds. Yep. So first race win, first round win, all that stuff. First enduro win, Sandown 500 with Yvonne Muller in the um, – the, how's your French? Any good? No. No, I don't think so. Oui, oui. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's about <laughs> it. That's about it. Um, and, of course – Croissant. Uh, Peugeot. Uh, <laughs> Renault. <laughs> we would go all day. Uh, second in the championship. Yep. Uh, the year that Ingle won the championship. Yes. And then, of course, 06, the – the Bathurst win, which everyone knows about, and then second in the championship again after that mm. controversial title decider at, at Phillip Island. So chassis 10, that car we talked about earlier, that's the same car the whole way through. So it's that's why Roland kept it for so long. And that, it, it was only sold late last year. Really special car along the way. So of all your 888 cars, you won Bathurst in a pile of other ones, but that's got to stand out as 
is that the most special? Is that because of all those reasons? Uh, yeah, and, and like I, besides my Formula Ford, I don't own any other race car. Um, but if I was, if someone asked me what car I'd like to, to own, it would be chassis ten because of the history of obviously the Brock era for me growing up. It'd be actually a close tie with the '96 car. Like so, the '96 and then. 06, probably the two special cars for mm. me in my history because mm. of what connections they have for me as not only results. But when I first went to Triple Eight, it was all about, again, growing with a team like I'd done with HRT. It was all about, you know, working with a, with a group, of, like a team, a group, and creating something, you know, creating history. And, and yeah, you're right. You look around this room now and and <laughs> we, I laugh because – in the boardroom, there's like wall to wall of cabinets of trophies. And I remember when it first started, we used to go to IKEA and get little glass ones, and we put like one or two trophies in the cabinet. Now we got cabinets everywhere. <laughs> I was going to say, and they're full. Like there, there's there's other ones sitting here on the benches because there's no more room in the cabinet. So um, it's kind of worked out all right. So there you have it, Craig Lowndes on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. And the best part is, that's only part one of a two part chat. Part two comes up next week here on the V8 Salute podcast powered by Repco and in part two we talk with the seven-time Bathurst 1000 winner about a bunch more stuff. We talk about Bathurst 2006, how he came up with his helmet designs, stories of tackling the Aussie Safari off-road event, his driving future at Bathurst. That's an interesting insight. I think you'll enjoy that one. Uh, Some offers that he's had along the way from other teams, the new era of Triple Eight and that famous 1996 Bathurst hangover and Juan Pablo Montoya. Now, every Tuesday, Castro Motorsport News Podcast. Tune in for it with Stefan Bartholomeus and Andrew Van Leeuwen, the boys with the latest and greatest in local and overseas racing, the best insight and analysis in the business. Of course, late every week, we have Repco Supercars Weekly. It's our little snapshot to catch you up with the latest news and bits and pieces around the Repco Supercars Championship. And of course, every Wednesday, it is the V8 Salute Podcast powered by Repco. You'll get Part two of CL next week dropping. We've got plenty of cool stuff ahead in the lead up to the Repco Bathurst 1000. And it's going to be a massive week of podcasts for Repco Bathurst 1000 week. There'll be more of that detail coming up very, very soon. In the meantime, leave a review, give us your feedback, send us some notes via socials, our website, email. We love to hear from you. Thank you so much for your support. Because of you, we recently passed 2 million downloads of our podcast sensational thank you very much for all of your support and effort i hope you've enjoyed this episode thanks for tuning in tell all your mates about the pod and we'll chat with you again soon supercars in sydney racing all weekend long shifting from day into dusk into darkness lights on because in sydney we ignite the night You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable.